This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Cameron lemons Debro. Wick Forest had a no good, very bad, unfortunate, and horrific weekend this weekend in the sports world. That was probably one of the worst sports weekends Wake Forest related that I can remember since I got to school in 2014. That was, that was tough. That was rough. And, I, and it wasn't so much just losing. I think it was the way both the teams lost, you know, starting out with basketball, went on down to Georgia, lost 80 to 77, you know, a game that you honestly, you, you if you told me they won that game by six or they lost that game by 16, I'd be like, Oh yeah, no, that, that makes sense with how that game played out. That that made a ton of sense. Uh, I think losing by three is kind of the awkward place there because I don't think that was really indicative of the game. Like I think there were times that Wake had obviously had the lead and you know, looked like they were going to kind of start trying to run away with it. And then, you know, that had that stretch, especially when Carr gets his fourth foul and it just, ugh. and then things kind of spiral from there. Cam gets his fourth foul and you're basically playing a ton of minutes without either of them on the floor. Your depth's already tested. And I think, you know, three up, three down, I'm going to start with the depth. The depth of this team is already being tested. I mean, obviously, you're without Jow, you're without Tamari, you're without Afton Reed. Those are three guys we're without right now. I've always have been of the on the side of death is a myth. Like it, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, death is just not a thing. You look at these guys and you look at a rotation in basketball and you say, hey, cool, you have 13 scholarship players. Look at any team around the country. The, the lone exception there, there's probably five or six exceptions out of the 300 plus basketball teams there are. You look at the rosters and you say, hey, out of these 13, nine, maybe 10 of you are not worth a damn, but nine, nine or 10 of you are going to be the ones playing this year. That's just that's just kind of kind of how it is. Not all thirteen are going to be good good enough to play either this year or maybe not ever. Like you know, sometimes you have people that don't progress. Other times you just have guys that are young and just need experience. You know, in this time frame right now, Aaron Clark needs some time before he sees the court. You know, I think about a guy right now like Zach Keller. I mean, no, I think eventually the light might come on for him, but he's just 
not ready. And I, they also tried to go into the season without, you know, putting a lot on Zach Keller. So I feel kind of bad because when you look at him and you go, okay, they were supposed to have Efton Reed and they're supposed to have Damari, Damari's Lord, and they're supposed to have, you know, Matthew March taking a step forward. March has been very up and down. We'll get to him in a second. But you look at the four and the five. Zach Keller was your, what, you have Andrew Carr as well. Zach Keller wasn't like a top three option coming into the season that you're supposed to have for like either one of those positions. At the five, Efton, Marsh, Andrew Carr are like kind of your top five. You know, if you kept Bobby, kept Bobby, then, you know, that's another option. They've played some Marquise Mayer in there at the five as well. But even without Marquise, like that, like Keller was supposed to be your third, your fourth guy there. At the, at the four, Carr, I think you can, you could probably say Damari when he gets back. And then, so yeah, so and maybe Bramo, Efton Reed, or not just Reed, uh, Marcus Marion definitely fits in at the four there. So you think he's probably your second, you're probably your third, maybe fourth option. You would say Carr and Monsanto, and then, you know, kind of figure out who gets minutes between Keller and Marcus Marion for that position right there. And, you know, now you have, so you have a guy that's sitting here supposing to be your third or fourth option at the four, your fourth option at the five. You can't, you weren't planning on playing him significant minutes this year. Like that just wasn't the plan. And now you see, now you see why, and he's just not ready for it. And it sucks because now you're kind of limited to only certain combinations in your lineup. Especially when you have a guy like Matthew Marsh, who has been up and down. Marsh has been, you know, uh, he was just kind of unplayable in that Elon game. I thought he was up and down in terms of this UGA game. He had some, he had some moments on, on defense where I was like, all right, cool, man. Like the, besides the block, like he used his size and you know, altered shots. And I thought that was, that was great. He also had possessions where he just got cooked off the dribble, you know, and I was just like, dude, like, and he has the he has possession where, you know, he gets an offensive rebound and then just gets it snatched out of his hands because he brings it down to like his waist. And it's like, don't do that. Like, you you know better than that. It, yeah, on offense, he had some, he had a couple of dunks, which is, you know, Matt Martin special. That's great. That's harder than it looks. And then sometimes he was just kind of like, he floated too much on offense. And it was like, there was a possession I know where Marcus Marion has the ball like at the elbow. And it's just, dude, like, like Marsh, like, go help him. Like the dude had had picked up his dribble and, you know, someone's supposed to come help him, you know, everyone else is supposed to, but Marsh kind of just kind of just stood there and it was just like, dude, like go help him. And so, you know, Marsh being up and down doesn't help you right now, especially when you don't have an answer about Efton Reed's waiver. No, I do not have an answer on Efton Reed's waiver right now. It is not, the, the appeal has not been denied. At least as the, as the recording of this is up right now, checked in on that before recording this. I, so yeah, so that's so you're you're stretched thin, and then in the UGA game you have Andrew Carr getting four fouls and Cam Hildreth going down. So you are already down out of the, your thirteen players. You know, let's say Bramo right now because Bramo looks unplayable for a second. Let's say Bramo and Clark are the two guys you just and and Keller are the three guys you just can't play right now. Those are your three. You know, they these guys aren't getting minutes as we go. Now you're down to ten. You're down to nine because of Efton. You're down to eight because of Damari. You're down to seven because of Chow. Now you get hurt. Now you get, you know, Andrew Carr is, has four fouls. And you have Cam Hildreth with four fouls. 
you don't have anyone like like that's like that's just your roster at that point. So that's what makes it kind of tough is yeah, the death of this team is really, really getting is really hurt. And you know, I they can't afford they they can't afford right now to get in foul trouble, and they definitely can't afford an Andrew Carr to get in foul trouble. They just physically can't. And so you know, that that sucks and that and that kind of got exposed in this game when I'm and I'm kind of glad it got exposed in this game just to, like hey like look death is going to be a thing at least until either Efton or Damari are on this are on this team but I the, the transition defense stunk it's point number two transition defense was just awful there was a worry from Forbes coming into this into the season I don't know if that necessarily gets shored up with Damari I know it gets shored up with Efton because Efton's just a better communicator. I think he's probably the better, best communicate commander on the team. Um, and it just, that's what it felt like in transition defense was that they, no one, they just weren't getting set. Like no one really knew exactly like who was supposed to be the guy to call and be like, Hey, like I'm, you go here, you got him, you have him. The transition defense, that was just, that was rough. Like that, like that was rough. And either, unless they're going to, unless they're going to make more shots and that doesn't happen, or they just get better communication from someone, whether that's F10 being eligible or someone else takes the takes the lead there. And you can't survive with transition defense like that. That was that was bad. That was really bad. Then I thought they forced their shots too much. I thought I thought they didn't get a good do a good enough job of getting to the basket. They settled for a lot of just mid-range stuff. You know, I like Cam Hildreth be, being from three and taking the shots. I like Hunter Salas doing that. You know, Hunter Salas is sitting around i think he's at last time i looked like just under 36 percent from three hill drips at 36.4 last time i checked and that's about where you want those two guys to go you want them to chuck up probably about five to six threes each make a make you know 35 36 percent of those they're not neither of them are going to be 40 percent shooters like that's 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 just not that's not where they're being asked to do neither are going to be 40 percent shooters from the three so you know, can they make 35, 36? And I think that's where you need them to be. But I thought the, I just thought that the selection of them were just kind of, just kind of bad. Like I thought they just were in weird spots. Um, it felt like they didn't, I don't know if Hunter didn't think he had the, uh, he was playing on just two awful ankles. Like he wasn't even close to hundred percent. I don't know if he didn't think that he had the, the speed and the, the burst to get to the basket is as easy as he, as he should have multiple times. He did, he did a couple times and it looked fine, but I wonder if he just didn't think he had, you know, they could hold up for him doing it consistently throughout the game. Same thing with, like, I know Cam was, was injured and was playing hurt, but you know, I don't, you don't need them sitting here chucking up, you know, 14, 15, threes. They just up 13 between those two. I don't know if that's necessarily like, I think, you know, 10 is probably where I'd probably want those two around shooting threes. Positives. Boopy. When Boopy wants to, when Boopy is deciding he's going to be a good defender, he's a good defender, which he did. Like he decided he was going to be a very, very good defender, had two steals. You know, I, he played some, he played some solid defense. I was really, really encouraged with what I saw from him. You know, game one, I thought he was fine. His assist numbers went up in this game too. It's good vision. You know, he, I think he can create at all three levels. I really, really fun player. I'm still really excited about Andrew Carr. You know, second half Andrew Carr is always my favorite thing. And, you know, when he, when he wasn't in foul trouble and he just was kind of playing free, 
you know, I thought he played really well in that game. Um, he was assertive. You know, I thought he, he got, he's physical. You can tell he's added the muscle that he lost towards the second half of last season. Like he's really has bulked up his shots. Good. Really, really, I do enjoy Andrew Carr's game. I think he's going to, he's probably the most important player on this team until one of Damari or Efton is there. I mean, I, it, I hate to keep saying like a third positive is, you know, Mark is, you know, they fought back, but I thought them fighting back was good. I mean, they could have easily folded and, you know, they need to stop digging holes. They need, like, whether it's early, whether it's middle of the game, they need to stop, need to stop digging holes. You can see the adjustments. You can see that they, they they do try to do different things. And I think that's important. I, they're trying to figure out some stuff with some inexperienced players. And that's that's still hurting. them. like, right now, I don't know how much you can play Parker. Like Parker, he's right now in the position where, where he shoots threes and I expect him to make it. Defensively, though, like, people pick on him. People just pick on, are going to pick on him. And not so much just because of his size, but just communication. Like, he doesn't. There's some there's some miscommunications that happen on some ghost screens that you know I don't that aren't doing well. He got back he got backdoor the hell out of in the Elon game. So you know I don't know how much you can play him, and especially if his shot isn't falling that game. Marcus Marion's going to be fine. Like he had a he had a rough one. He had a, he had a freshman game. He's a freshman. Uh, I think he does some really good work on the boards. That one bunny he missed was tough though. Like that's the problem is the one he missed changes the game completely. You know, I want to see him build some confidence and, you know, I think he's adjusting well to, to like the physicality of the game, but I don't know about the speed of the game. I think it's still a little bit fast for him. I think he's, he's definitely physical enough. It's just how fast things are happening. Sometimes I think catch up to him a little bit. So that way, that was tough. Maybe that, that was a tough loss. I mean, not a whole lot you can do about it except get better. That's that's pretty much all you can do. Um, you go down to Charleston this weekend, and you know you have a good matchup in Utah. And when you look in Utah, I haven't necessarily scouted them too too much because they've played a, a couple cupcakes. In terms of Kim Palm, they're thirty fifth. You know, four year Frank offense, thirty fifth defense. You know, again, how much of that is you know both preseason and also them playing two just absolute cupcakes right now you know wake forest i did i didn't think it was hilarious wake did rise in ken palm even with three-point loss because they did cover and some people some people had some bad losses like i know ej might not end up making the tournament this that or whatever but like there were some bad losses in in college basketball over the weekend like it was not it was not pretty (laughs) so you know i mean you it was a it was a wasted opportunity. I think that's more so what's frustrating than anything else. You know, if you had come out of that with a win, you would still have the gripes probably of you, know, you could have played better, you could have done this better, that better, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what it hurts more is the fact that it's just a it is a tough, tough, tough. You need a Q1 wins. And I don't know if Georgia ends up staying Q1 win. Like, and, I don't, and I don't know if that's a Q1 loss. And I don't know if that's good, bad. You know, I, I have no idea if it's if it's better if the loss stays in Q1 or you know it should it drop down to Q2. Like I have too early in the season. I have no idea. And you know, it's too early to make sweeping generalizations about a team. But I think just having the opportunity, 
losing that sucks. And I think you've got to come back in this, in this tournament and, and you got to get some wins. Like this is one where, you know, if you can sit here and beat Utah and, you know, right now they're 35th in, in Ken Palm and you're going to be an underdog in this game. If you can beat Utah, then you have a couple, then you can, that's one banked in that I don't know. It'll stay at you and win because again, 35th, they could go up, down. People fly off out of the rankings all the time. I have no idea, but you're more likely to have more opportunities to pad a resume, whether it's wins or losses. If you lose this game, you'd get what Towson who is not exactly a, a basketball powerhouse. They are 140th in Ken Palm. So, I mean, yeah, you should probably win that if you end up playing them in a consolation game. And then you play probably LSU or North Texas, I would assume, the winner of that. Because I don't, unless that, unless, I mean, LSU was someone that had a bad loss. And, you know, yeah, they're 64th in Ken Palm, but how much is that bad loss indicative of who they are? And especially if they get the you know what kicked out of them by Dayton who's right next to them and can bomb, you know, they, it could be close, but you know, it's always hard early in the season. Like it's, it, it's better if you, if you're sitting here going Utah and then you play a Houston and then if you lose or, you know, somehow beat Houston, but if you lose, then you still have a Dayton, you still have probably Dayton or St. John's. You at least have two Q1 games out of this, where if you lose, you'd have a Q1 loss in Utah and then you'd have, a bunch of Q2s, no matter what you do. So I, I trying to maximize the Q1s is definitely going to be Friday. Obviously, if you, what you want to do is win the entire Charleston Classic. That would be the preferable, but I'm sitting here trying to be realistic and go, hey, like we're trying to work on things earlier in the season. So I do think, and this is a fun little segue between basketball and football, I do think it's really, really funny. And I really want to have like a case study done of like, how quickly a fan base can turn on a coach. I think that's, I think that's what I've stuff I've seen from just multiple parties in terms of just like, you know, the, per, that the head coach and the players are the smartest and best players when they win and they are the worst. They don't adjust. They don't do anything. They're dumb, et cetera, et cetera. When they lose, it's just the, it's the nature of it. And it's, it's, it's really, really interesting to me. Um, I am I, I'm always really intrigued to see like like I, I I'll, I'll see people say certain things like you know if coaching the coaching staff always thought they were they were smart and were forward thinking they think this when a couple of years ago like they were the greatest things in sliced bread. I think about it in football it's kind of options football. Dave Aranda at Baylor. Aranda is two years removed from winning the Big 12 and winning the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> like, re- remember, like, that, like, like, this is not like, it's not like, oh, like, he just had, like, you know, an eight-win, a nine-win game, and, you know, this dude got to, got to Baylor in 2020, was mad in the COVID year. They finished 12-2, and two, Baylor finished 12-2, and two, won the Sugar Bowl 21-7 over Ole Miss. AP Big 12 Coach of the Year was finalist for multiple Coach of the Year, like National Coach of the Year awards. Got up, absolute bag, and now is you know three and six and 
in two in a week or so, if you if Dave Aranda got fired, you shouldn't be shocked. He went six and seven. He's three and six right now. You know, two years ago he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Now, now he, if you look at any message board about him, oh my goodness, it is awful. Pat Narduzzi is two years removed from an ACC championship game, and people are trying to get him the hell up out of there. I mean, I can I can see the stuff about Dave Clawson people have said, and it, it's it's just re, it's really an interesting thing. You know, and it, and people and the thing is, people can turn it around, and that's that's completely normal. People turn around in season. People turn around the next season. One one year sample sizes aren't good. even two year sample sizes aren't good. Like it is. I'm always really intrigued to see like you know a bigger body of work, and man, I think it's I think it's just wild, just because like there's just never a middle ground. There's never, and I think media sometimes are guilty of that as well. Of when someone's, we're, I think a lot of times media are really really good to rush and anoint someone like the next guy. I remember when the whole Deion Sanders stuff was going on in the first <laughs> month of the season. Everyone's like, we got to hire Dion, and and yet people in the media did push Dion because that is what people clicked on. People clicked on Dion Sanders. Like, go look at like if you look at all the SEO stuff, Dion Sanders was in, was in there. People clicked on it at just repeatedly. But I mean, the first couple of weeks of the season, Dion Sanders looked like a good coach, and it was like, man, is he only going to be here for a year? What's going on here? You know, he's really turned this around. And you look at Colorado now, and I mean, they have been bad and, in fact, not good since then. Since they, their last win, excuse me, their second to last win was on September 16th. It was the overtime game against Colorado State that Jay Norvell just threw away. I mean, and since then, that's when they, that's when they started season 3 0. 1 1, 1 2, 1 and 2, 1 and 3, 1 and 4, 1 and 5. They are 1 and 6 since then. And they have Washington State and, and Utah to finish it up. And I don't know if they win either of those games on the road, especially going to Utah the end of the year. You and Utah in general is always a bad thing. Utah's pissed the hell off. Washington State's always a, a bar fight team. So, I mean, but I think that's one of the things that like people were really, really quick to say, yeah, like this dude is like going to be it. And then it's, an, it's even within a season. And now you go look at pe- people's responses about Dion. Some people will say, you know, give him just a bigger job and he'll be fine. Some people are like, man, we were sold a, a bill of goods. And it's always, this, it's this weird thing to me. So I see that in relation to Wake Forest. And I see people having their, you know, having their thoughts about, you know, what's gone on with the football program. You know, like, like I see the comments of people saying your staff, staff is too stubborn or inept the, the, you know, to keep up with the times change. And I think that's always the, that's always usually the gripe on terms of whenever when someone's, whenever a coaching staff and the players are, aren't doing well in the season, it's always the coaching staff's inept, the players suck, et cetera. They weren't when they were doing well, they aren't, they aren't running wins and they're not doing it now in losses. So, you know, there are some that are like that. Jeff Collins, for example, just probably was not good at his job. Kenny Payne in basketball, probably not good at his job. You know, the, there are certain examples of guys are like, dude, you're just, not get out of it, but like that's usually what's thrown around whenever something's wrong. With Wake, I mean, I, I think it's just I think I don't know. I don't. I, Saturday was close. To the, was very close to the keyword. Um, 
you know, I, I think I think it's just kind of a kind of a broken team right now. It's 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 been a broken record talking about them. It's just a broken team. They're not good this year. They're they're just not good. You know. Now you kind of now you focus on retention. That's that's what you do now. Like I don't really have an appetite to talk about, you know, that game. I don't think anyone really cares for me to talk about, you know, the specifics of this game. Future future looking. This is where I think you kind of are at a crossroads. And I don't think next year needs to be a, a turnaround of you winning 10 games. I think next year needs to be a solid like eight, seven, somewhere between seven to nine wins. I think eight would be probably where I'm like, hey, I feel happy right now. It also is dependent on what the roster looks like next year. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I mentioned on the message boards yesterday that, you know, there's a considerable amount of money of NIL completely. There's a, there's a bucket for a quarterback and there's a bucket for retention, getting people out of the portal, et cetera. Before I get to that high school recruiting class, they're fine. They, they're, they're fine. They see opportunities to come in and play early. Uh, that's, that's what I'll say on that. Wake's gotten their decommitments out of their outer system. You know, the guys that I'm worried about are they're good. Well, guys, you know, the guys that I was I was worried about, you know, they're they're fine. I think going into the going to the portal, I, and it's the same thing at quarterback that I think about, you know, kind of everywhere else around the team is. So I so I don't think Santino's coming back, by the way. I don't think he'll be back. I think Mitch will be back. Unsure on Kern. I think Kern might come back, but you know, I his heart's not in it, man. I, I love I love Michael Kern to death, but he's just not the competitor you need to be as a as a P5 quarterback. That's that's kind of what I've danced around with him is you know, we have Santino who just isn't good enough. Mitch, who so far has not been good enough, but like at least like has mobility. Kern has height. But like, just you know, he's been here for years and just isn't the competitor that they need him to be. And so, I could see Santino, you know, moving on, whether it's just not just being kind of done with football or you know, dropping down a level to like the FCS or not even G five, probably the FCS level. I could see him doing that. Um, I don't, I don't think he ends up at a P five, and maybe, maybe a G, maybe a G five, but like, like a New Mexico State or something like that, or an FIU. Um, I don't foresee him. I don't foresee him being a. The thing about Santino and the, I, I see all the comments about people going, you know, I never understand why he gets fair shake this and this. I mean, and he's gotten his fair shake in practice and all the stuff, and it's like there was a reason he was moved to safety. Like there was a reason that like freshmen came in and was better and were better than him, and he got moved to a different position. Like that. That is usually your indication of, and you know, I look at another. There's a couple of people that have done that on the defense. That they got moved to a different position in your line. And like there's usually a reason for that. And it's you just can't cut it at this level. And so, you know, I think they end up with one, out of those three, I think one of them ends up coming back. 
So you can't, you, there, you just physically can't flush out your entire room. Like that just, it just won't happen. But a couple of them, a couple of them will definitely will, will not be here next year. And I would, when it comes to whatever quarterback you bring in, obviously, and you have Jeremy Hecklinski coming in from Walton, who's been doing pretty good in, as a freshman, but I, you know, high school, the college different, it's junk. Yeah. He's got to get, he's got to get bigger. He's like, Six foot, barely, 180 pounds. He's got to get bigger. Uh, the accuracy worries me a little bit. He hasn't been throwing interceptions this year, but the accuracy hasn't all the way been there. So that's what kind of worries me there. When you're looking at the portal quarterbacks, uh, I, I think you need experience. Uh, and I don't mean experience exactly. Just it doesn't have to be you know a grad transfer. Um, I, it needs to be someone. To, to me, it needs to be someone that has started multiple multiple games. It can be at the Power 5 level. It can be at the G5 level. It can be at the FCS level. I'm fine with either one of those three. I don't want to sit here. The, what, why you're in the scenario right now is inexperience, and that's across the board besides wide receivers. Wide receivers right now just kind of stink. Um, they're just inconsistent. Like you had, you had them making plays like hell against Duke, and then on Saturday they just, you know, Jamal Banks couldn't catch the ball. What the fuck? Excuse my French, but come on now. Um, it's it's an experience. Like you, your career quarterback, an experience. Demon Claiborne, you know he's gotten he's gotten better in pass protection. Part of it is they don't ask him to do the same things, and that's been a good adjustment over the last four games. Is they have not asked him or the tight ends to do the same things that they were originally asking him to do, and that's led to better results out of them in terms of their pass blocking. You know, but he's an experience, and that was a big reason of why. He wasn't on the field early. You know, Justice Ellison's ankle injury is definitely hampering him right now. And that's all opening door for more, for more opportunities for Claiborne. But, you know, and it, he was, he's inexperienced and needed time to like grow into that. Matt Goldman, Matt Goldman's last four games have been very, very, very good. They like the FSU, he was a little bit up and down, but he ran block like great. Pittsburgh, he was fantastic. Duke game, he was really, really good. Pass blocking wise against NC State. He was really, really good. And so, you know, the last four games of him have been solid. But I'm also like, it took, you know, six games for him to really get into that. You can't afford that again. Like you can't, you can't, you can't afford that. And I think, and that's, that's a, that's the, that's a big reason why, you know, when you, if you do go out there and spend I'm putting out a number, not the number, $750,000 to go get a quarterback in the portal. You know, whether it's someone that can, that, that's going to push everybody or someone that's going to, you know, someone that's going to actually be the starter. I don't, I don't think you can, you can afford to go out and say, Hey, this dude was a third string five star at Texas. I don't think you can afford that. I, not in terms of the money aspect. I don't think you can afford that for another season. I don't think you can afford to say, hey, go out and get you know the backup or the third string from UGA. Because you're still running. Yeah, they could have all the talent in the world. They're five stars or six, two, six, three, even six feet sometimes. You need experience because you need to know what happens. You need to know how they respond when they get hit. You need to know how they respond. Can they hold on to the football? You need to know how they respond when the lights come on versus what it looks like when they're throwing against air. That's what I, that's what you need out of that. And that's what you need across the board. I'm concerned 
I need to figure out quarterback. I'm concerned at left tackle. I am so very concerned at left tackle. How, what has Eric Russell really shown for that? I mean, CJ Elmanus has basically become a guard. Is he even here next year? I'm not sure. Do you move Devo over to left tackle? Where it's not his most comfortable position, but like, it's better than what you've had. Finding a left tackle in the portal is really hard because everyone worth like everyone worth the damn costs like seven hundred thousand dollars. Then that goes to UGA, that goes to Michigan, that goes to goes to Bama. Like that's that's like I'd argue a left tackle, a a good left tackle is harder to find in the portal than a serviceable quarterback. It is not it is nauseating to find good offensive linemen in the portal. One I think you can figure out someone that's like pretty that's fine, but it's fine gonna get you Central Clap's been fine. That's been eh. He's been injured a little bit, but he's been fine. You know, can you find an NFL guy there? That's that's your question. And I don't know if you have an answer for that yet. You're gonna I think you're gonna need with or without Sheen, I think you need another edge guy because the development behind him, I I, I trust Dave Cohen, but I think you still need either an edge or another DT because Bryce Ganyas and Kevin Pointer can't do it themselves. Like they just can't. We're trying to, but, and you can't, and I think, I think you kind of maybe hurt Jasheen's draft stock a little bit by him putting on, because he put on a bit more weight and they've liked to line up, line him up inside and to kind of hide some deficiencies at, at the end position. And while it's worked at time to time, I don't know if it's necessarily the most where he's going to be at from the next level. And so, you know, I think if they get a defensive tackle in the portal, they slim Jasheen back down a little bit and let him work from the outside more often. So yeah, I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. I I mentioned to someone yesterday that you know this isn't someone spreading around rumors, and because as you guys know, I do not spread rumors. I do not deal with rumors. I do not like them. However, a, it is a very plausible situation where. All four Power Five North Carolina schools can eat quarterbacks this offseason. I would expect UNC to get one to, to go after one. I would expect NC State to go after one. I expect Wake to go after one. And nope. Does is Duke able to pony up the one point five two million dollars for Riley Leonard to stay? I don't know. That's the that's the million dollar, that's a two million dollar question that I don't have the answer to. You know, I'm not really sure in terms of you know, possible names. In terms of uh. In terms of them, in terms of quarterbacks, you know, I obviously the names that get thrown around, people are always like guys like Jalen Rayner from Arkansas State, Byron Brown from USF. I think we're a solid like week or two away from really knowing names coming out because people are not, uh, people are not dumb and they're not going to sit here and throw out names of like, hey, here are the guys that we're trying to, to get right now. We know that we know the big names of a Michael Pratt. Michael Pratt is going to be out of Wake's price range, and it's not so much Wake being cheap. Notre Dame and USC are both going to need quarterbacks this offseason. So do with that as you wish. You know, Sam Hartman got over a million dollars, over one point five. Michael Pratt's going to get two plus if he doesn't go to the draft. So, and that's just that's just one of those things. That, hey, look, man, is what it is there. The retention part of this of this year is going to be very, very important. There are going to be some guys that are going to leave that are going to, that are going to suck. That's just, just going to be life. 
uh, I would expect one of I would expect one of Key or Taylor Marin to not be here next year. You know, if I had a choice, I'd probably say you know Keyshawn stay. Not because I I'm not I don't think Marin's bad or anything. I think Marin's a very good player, but you know I think for the style of offense you need to play, I think Key fits that mold a little better. You know I think Jamal Banks is going to be a fight. I, I think he I think he's going to be a fight. Tashin, Kalen, those guys are going to be fights too. Malik coming back, um, I would be outright stunned if Malik doesn't come back to Wake. I, and like I would put that at ninety five percent that he'll be he'll be back next year. Slocum should be back. You return basically all your linebackers, but Chase and Jacob Roberts. I mean, Aiden Hall played really well, and you know he made his mistake against Duke, but he's going to be a really good really good linebacker. Um, so so you, you have your awkward wins like you know I. Demond, they're, they're, they're going to be able to match. No one's paying Demond Claiborne $400,000. I'm just going to put this out there right now. Like, no one's going to pay a running back four hundred k. And, uh, you know, so I, I they have the money to keep him. They have the money to keep Devontae Gordon next year. They have the money to keep a guy like Evan Slocum, Malik. Malik so Malik is the interesting case because, and I used the four hundred k number well, right, because... A fifth round draft pick. If you if you're a fifth round draft pick in the NFL draft, your signing bonus is basic. It's like three eighty six, three hundred eighty six thousand dollars. So I'm calling that four hundred thousand dollars. I mentioned this in the post. I said there are five guys that I believe could like command that right now: Galen Carson, Jamal Banks, Malik Mustafa, Devontae Gordon, Jasheen Davis. Those are the five guys I think command that much money. I maybe might put Kevin Pointer in there, but I think Kevin probably is more of a hundred to two hundred thousand kind of guy if you were trying to get him out of the portal. Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's graduated either, so I don't think Pointer can go into the portal without needing a waiver unless they change that for the fifteenth time. So the, those are so Kalen, Jamal, Devontae, Jasheen are going to be the ones that I'm like, I'm interested in because. You get three, I believe it's three NFL evals. You can send you send off the film, measurables, testing times to the NFL advisory committee, and they give you a grade of, I believe it's first round pick, second round pick, or basically just stay in school. And so with that, I go, all right, where do these guys, where are these guys going to fall in there? Kalen, I thought made him some money against Keon Coleman. Like I, I, I think Kalen Coleman's Kalen Carson's gonna tr- gonna test the NFL. I think he might test it. I, I would not be shocked if he's back, but I think he's gonna test the waters because I mean, he he's got some good tape. The Coleman tape looked really good. He's been a very, very, very good tackler. People just aren't throwing at him this year, like at all. Like people just just aren't doing it. So I, I could see him doing it. Jamal is is a really interesting case because it's how much does he want to be here how much does he want like how much does he still want to be here when does he graduate is a really good question like does he graduate in spring or does he graduate in the fall i'm graduating um december or does he graduate in may if he's a december graduate which i need to flush out you know i could theoretically i could see him listening to some offers and saying you know what what do i do about this because i don't know how much more film does for jamal which is I, I don't I don't put him in the sage category, 
because Sage was someone I was, and I felt very vindicated on that was like Sage was someone that like another year of football just didn't help. Wouldn't have helped Sage. He was slow. He was a, he was a too slow to be a wide receiver, not big enough to be a tight end in the NFL, which is why he's a tight end in you know, the USFL. Love Sage. Great guy. Good football player. Just not an NFL guy. Jamal, I mean, I'm interested on if like if, if, an, if another year actually helps him. Because that's one where I could see him. I would be less shocked about him testing the waters and just going to the NFL than I would be him transferring to another school. Because I, I just I just physically don't know what another year could really do for him right now. You know, like that's the that's the one I don't I don't like. Well, I don't I don't know. Malik, you know, I think he'd be probably around like a fifth, sixth round draft pick just because he's, he's small. I love him. I try, I, I am, I am, that is one of the guys I stand for. He's tiny for a safety. So, you know, I don't think his, I think his draft stock is pretty much the same, whether he goes out this year or next year, come back to school, get, you know, a few hundred K like, you know, would he take a hometown, a hometown discount? I think so. Get it. Take a, take a couple hundred K ball out the board the safety board is kind of stacked this year too so go out be a fifth round pick next pick next year cool Devonte, you know I, I think people are going to try to get try get after him again i think he i i think if they wanted to pony up they they will for him in terms of wake i think wake is gonna again they have the money they have they have well the seven figures of money solely for retention so I think Devontae is going to be, I think all five of those guys, including, and then you also include Wesley Grimes and and Demont Claiborne and Justice Ellison and, and, you know, Key slash Taylor Moran, probably would want both, but, you know, if you can only have one, I don't know who they choose. But, you know, those guys, Luke Pettibone, those are going to be the guy, and Nick Sharp, those are going to be your guys that they, like, if they need to, they're going to, they're not going to sit here and get into a bidding war and say, look, we're going to pay you a million dollars, but, like, Four or five hundred K, if that's what needs to be paid for Devontae Gordon to come back, they're gonna do it. Same thing with Jasheen Davis. If Jasheen Davis is like, hey, look, can I get five hundred K to come back here? I think they they pony up for it. Yeah, I don't know if Jasheen Davis gets five hundred K. And I think his NFL, I think his NFL thing is really interesting of where he lands there. But I think you know, they have the money to do it. It's just gonna be a matter of you know how much of the two-way street is that it. It's gonna be interesting to a couple weeks. Um <laughs> I am excited to be, to, I'm, I, I'm excited, not for the fact of, you know, I make people nervous. It's interesting. It's an interesting new world, new challenge. I think this is where, I don't think Wake Forest is at a crossroads necessarily, but it's something where, you know, I think they got, they just were, they were just, they were late to the, late to the party. Late to the party. You know, you're already fighting with one hand tied behind your back. They have, money in a tier that I didn't expect them to have at this point. Like I thought they'd be, you know, not scrounging for a million, but I thought they'd be, have a little less money and they're really, they're really, really making a push right now to, you know, hit a certain goal. Cause I think if they, I think if they hit that certain goal of, you know, X amount of million dollars, then I think they stand a, re, a substantial chance in terms of the portal of bringing people in. But, you know, even without that, I think I think they're still in a good position now. It's a matter of, you know, doing it. I mean, and I, I think I don't think Clawson's going to someone asked yesterday if Clawson's going to pull a Bronco. And I think it's a fair question. I, don't, I mean, they're very good friends. They they act a lot alike. 
I think Clawson, this is me more of a more of a opining than it is an actual like this is what I'm hearing. You know, I, I had Clawson finishing out his contract in 2031 and being like, you know, that's that's when I think that pretty sure that's when it ends. Um I don't think he gets that far. I, I could see I could see a three year plan of like, you know, let's let's hey, you know, this is my plan for the next three years. Here's what I want to accomplish. We're gonna we're gonna sit here, hit these goals. I'm gonna go out on a decently high note. Be done. I don't think he's gonna try to go. I don't think he's gonna go out on a on a bad note. I also don't think he's gonna pull Grove and you know just kind of kind of quit. You know, I don't think he's gonna sit here and just be like, well, this is what it is. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm gonna win my way or the highway. He's bending. He, he's bending a lot to you know this is what needs to happen. You know, did it come a little later than you know probably should have? Eh, we'll see. But. There is some, there is a lot of bend in terms of what's going on, and so I'm interested to see how this offseason plays out. It's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a, a, there will be some twists and turns this offseason, is, is what I can say. So, thank you guys so much for listening, and as always, go Deeks.